got the big lads in the centre that are there to, you know, be the battering ram and, and set a platform and move us up the pitch. When I get the ball, I I, I should be trying to get to the try line. It's, it's what I'm there for. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Hello, Nick. Welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? Hi, uh, yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I literally just said, but I'm so looking forward to this because I know absolutely sweet F.A., about okay and i've tried to get this right so many times pdrl i know nothing so i cannot wait to like a talk about it b understand your journey of how you got there and like everything else in between like honestly i can't tell you i'm genuinely really i will talk about pdrl all day long so (laughs) hopefully you'll know some more about it by the time we're finished yeah i'll be able to spiel off everything it'll be amazing (laughs) so the first question that I like to ask every single guest is, how do you refer to your disability? So I'm normally quite matter of fact about it. So yeah. um, I normally say I'm a right arm amputee mm-hmm. um, above the elbow. And I also normally throw in that it was in a traffic accident. Um, yeah, so I, I do that because I've got a little bit of a military background. I was in the, um, the Army Reserves for a few years. Yeah. A lot of my friends are in the forces. And depending on sort of how I'm dressed or how I've got my hair cut and things, people can often jump to the assumption of me having lost it in the army. And I don't want that misassociation uh-huh. that I, I wasn't when I was serving. So I, just, yeah. I try and be quite clear with people on that. I honestly think that that's actually so interesting that people for you jump straight to, is, is it a military thing? Because I, mm-hmm. like, I'm like you, I know a lot of people who are, forces base and, and nine times out of ten the people that I know their disability is from being in the forces but it's very interesting particularly and I'm gonna stereotype so people who don't like that close your ears it tends to be males who get that stereotype because there is not a female that I have met or know of I mean I'm, there probably is but that I know of or have met who has ever been questioned if they were in the military. And I think it's always so interesting that it tends to be males that get that immediately because like, you know, don't want to yeah. be gender stereotypical, but that is the role that it goes down. It's just what people's heads sort of go to, isn't it? It's sort yeah. of percentage wise and things, especially I'm sporting a, a delightful November mustache that my wife hates. <laughs> um, but before I used to be like completely clean shaved all the time. So clean shave, short hair, yeah, I'm getting a little older now, but like young and fit people just, yeah, for me would do it quite a lot. So I've got friends that have been injured in the forces and yeah. I don't want people to sort of um, like attribute that to me. So I'm all, I always try and be quite clear with that up front. Yeah. Although I do tell, tell other random stories about my arm, but not, not forces ones. Yeah. I mean, I think part and parcel though of like limb difference in general like regardless of whether it's upper or lower like the stories that we can tell about how it happened or how it didn't happen if you just were born like I was is unbelievable and there's also something that links and I was talking to a friend about this that links like limb loss and limb difference and utter chaotic energy together I don't know someone who doesn't have a limb difference who isn't somewhat chaotic and do you think that stands for you yeah I don't think I could argue with that too much, to be honest. The um, one of one of the games we used to play when I was a bit younger, especially a student, was my friends would give me three words um, uh-huh. to then build a story around how I lost my arm. 
Um, and then we go up to a group and they had to get the other people to ask me how I lost it. And I had the time it took them to sort of steer the conversation to that for me to concoct some ludicrous story. Um, <laughs> the best one. I still stand by that this isn't three words, but the, the lads overruled me. Um, it was tea cloth, ostrich feather and crematorium. And I had to build a story around that. Sounds like you have got some very funny friends. Yeah, funny would be one way to uh, to describe them. Yeah. <laughs> and so obviously because you acquired your disability, there was a part of your life where you were non-disabled. And if you don't mind me asking, what was that experience like for you going from being non-disabled to then, you know, essentially waking up one day and becoming disabled? Um, it was crazy. Um, so I played football to like a half decent level with my um, sort of part-time military unit I was in. And then I was wanting to go regular army and I was doing further training. I was a fitness instructor in the um, the army reserves as well. Yeah. Um, and I woke up in hospital not knowing what had happened, just in a room with a load of machines that go beep. And I did a, a body scan like you would if you woke away, you don't know where you are. Yeah. Oh yeah, everything seems fine. It's cool. And then my parents came in through 10 seconds later and were, were telling me I'd lost it. It's amputated. It isn't there. And I, it was the only way I can describe it. You know, and when you see cartoons, you have like an angel and devil on each shoulder yeah. whispering different things in your ears. Because on one side, they go like, I've never really seen your dad look this upset. Mum's crying. It probably isn't a joke. But on the other side, like, like what's wrong with you? I'm, I'm scratching my leg with my arm. I can feel it against my thigh. What are you talking yeah. about? Because it felt perfect. Um, wow. And that, then I was like, okay, let's see it. And what little colour I'd still got in my face, completely drained. Yeah. Um, I was panicked that I'd lost my leg as well then because my leg was anaesthetised. I'd got a minor injury to it. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I realised I couldn't move it. But my dad basically went out, rugby tackled a nurse into the room. It's like, what's happened with that? And oh, it's a medium to large skin graft. It'll be fine. And that, in a really weird way, set me up for like probably the next five years of being an amputee where it's like, oh, oh right, I've got both legs. I can handle losing arm. I've got a spare. I can still play football. I can still run. Yeah. I can still do stuff like that. Um, so that, that was like the short term. And then in like the five, five years, I carried on being a fitness instructor in the TA. Um, and it was actually a really good, um, training tool because, uh, we'd have, it was, my unit was based on university students. So uh -huh. you get about a hundred through every year and it'd be, you know, um, some of the guys that weren't massive or some of the girls would be like, oh, I can't climb that eight foot wall. There's no way I can do it. So yeah. I'd be stood at the front as a senior instructor. Well, if I can do it with one arm. It's technique. It's not broad. It's not. Yeah. You don't need to be a you know a six foot eight monster to do it. And it um, it also led to some funny things of people challenging me. And I'd gone out and made sure that I could do stuff very well. Um, yeah. And so I'd race um, like able bodied people over salt courses and stuff and and beat them. Um, but yeah, so it was it was a a weird journey for me. That job being a fitness instructor sort of insulated me from um, the arm loss quite a lot. In that I didn't sort of face up to it until I lost that uh, that job and then yeah. had a really bad time like mental health and things afterwards because it was so much of me was part of that like guy with the shoulders back being in front of in front of troops like yeah. being a fitness instructor so it was yeah it was mine was a bit of a weird journey I think yeah and I think that's really like telling of who you are as a person that actually you carried on working in fitness particularly fitness because I think 
and I know I say this a lot and I know I do harp on about it quite a bit, but I think it's a really important thing to to discuss, particularly between disabled people and non-disabled people, but more so disabled people, is that you can be into fitness and not be a Paralympian. Yeah. It's something like, I um, struggle with a little bit now because yeah. I um, I hate the sort of the two stereotypes you get of disabled people, either um, like Paralympic or um, you're completely depressed in a corner, yeah. um, not able to function with life. Yeah. And yeah, there are people in both of those categories. And I've been in definitely like the depressed category at times and struggled. But the vast majority of disabled people are just cracking on with a decent life in between somewhere. And yeah, but it's sort of I've played for England and won a World Cup now, so yeah. I'm sort of maybe edging a little bit further than I expected in the opposite direction. Yeah, and it is, it's such, it is a really, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because like you, like in my field of sports, I'm doing quite well. Like I sit very well in my league table. So whilst I talk about it being like, you know, not Paralympic or pity, I'm still doing it incredibly well in my sport, but my sport isn't, densely populated at all so that's probably why I'm doing so well but what you say is very very right is that actually the vast majority of disabled people I mean yes there are people in both camps but actually when it comes down to it everyone is somewhere kind of in the middle like and the middle is different from everyone but considering we're now talking about sports and sporting journeys I would love for you to talk about okay I'm gonna get it right I'm gonna get it right PDRL, what it stands for, your journey into it, everything about it. Because what I've read about it, and especially this year being, the, was it the first year there was a World Cup? Absolutely. And I know that Adam Hill made a documentary on this particular like subset of rugby sports. Yep. I haven't watched it because I haven't watched it. I've got no excuse. But I would love to hear a lot more about it because I think until I'd heard from you, I knew nothing about it. And I feel like as a disabled person, I should have known something about it. So please like wax lyrical about yeah. your journey and how you got there. Buckle in because we'll probably go for a while. I um, love that. <laughs> yeah. So it started in Australia and um, about 10 years ago, it was basically a guy that had played as a kid and grown up and wanted to play rugby league because in Australia, rugby league is basically like their football. It's yeah. their main participation sport. And there wasn't anything, so he set about making a version of Rugby League that was more tailored for people with physical disabilities. Uh So in Rugby League, for instance, you have six tackles to try and score. If you don't score, you hand the ball over to your opponents and then they come back at you. In physical and in conventional Rugby League, if you knock the ball on to knock it forward with your hands, the ball just goes to the other team straight away. Mm -hmm. In PDRL, if you do that, it just counts as a tackle. So, okay. for instance, for people like me with one arm or guys with cerebral palsy or like dexterity issues, if they drop it, it's no big deal. You pick it up yeah. and you carry on. So there are a few like tweaks to the rules like that to make it um, like more tailored for, for disabled people. And we're still learning now every year. We we, t- we tweak some of the rules. Some of them are a bit technical if you're not into rugby league, but just to make things flow and make things work for more people. Um, the sport got brought across and it was Warrington Wolves, which is like professional club, first sort of picked it up and then Adam Hills contacted them being like, are you setting up this club, this this PDRL? Because he's my lifelong player and always wanted to, but not really been able to play. Yeah. And between sort of Warrington and um, Adam, they really pushed the sport from having a couple of teams to now we've got a league with 
I lose track. I think seven, six teams this year we've had. And then there are two or three more setting up for the next season. Um, and we have, so what we do is we meet up about once a month and you play at the domestic level, you play two or three games on a on one day and they're 20 minutes, sorry, 25 minutes long each. Um, and there are contact and non-contact players. So every team can have two players that wear red shorts that shows that they can't take a tackle for whatever medical reason. Mm-hmm. And it's what's awesome about it is it's not a patronising pat on the head, oh, you know, let these guys out that that, yeah. that, that doesn't look like they can play rugby. Because actually, in attack, they, they can't do very much for the team because, you know, you get a fingernail on them and that is a tackle made and they have to stop. But in defence, they can be absolute game changers because if they can if they can position themselves well and move about... They could stop a bloke like five times bigger than them with just a tap. So it means the 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 lads that take contact don't have to expend that effort, don't have to make that tackle. So they're actually and how you use your red shorted players in the team is a really like sort of tactical thing within the teams because yeah. you, you move them around like you could move them to just if you got one if the other team got one massive player that's a massive danger man, just put a red short in front of him and he can't go anywhere. <laughs> All he's got to do is just tackle it. It means you can mark off other stuff. Or if you've got a, a lad that's quite mobile with the red shorts, he can just run after the ball, left, right, and centre, and make all your tackles for you. And you, the entire rest of the team, you get a breather for a few minutes, and yeah. then you pick up on the attack. So it's it's a really it's a really interesting um, way that they've done it. Um, mm. So that's like the domestic side, and then the international. The rules are tweaked again to make them a bit more. Um, competitive um so there's there's so for instance in domestic you are on the last tackle you can kick the ball you have 10 seconds of protection before anyone can come and get you unless you um unless you sort of run with the ball whereas in international it's only five seconds and so everything's just sharpened a little and in domestic a big thing to put through for anyone that's interested in playing there's no um categorization or anything at domestic if you think you're disabled you can come and play as long as you're ambulatory. If you're not, there's wheelchair rugby. So there's rugby league. So that's there for you. Yeah. Um, and whereas international, there's a, a classification system that's similar to the parallel. Well, it is the Paralympic system. Yeah. And then you get put in sort of A, B and C. And you have to have a certain number of each players. Um, and it's like severity of, of condition. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, that sort of brings us to... This year was the first ever World Cup and there were a couple of teams uh-huh. that were trying to pull uh, teams together for it. So like uh, Scotland and Wales, uh, Scotland and Ireland, and they couldn't get enough players um, in the right categories to field the team. But yeah. we got um, England, Wales, New Zealand and Australia um, to come across uh-huh. to Warrington. Um, like I said earlier, we normally play um, sort of 50 minutes of rugby every month because we have like reasonably long recovery times, a lot of us. Yeah. Um, we played four 50-minute games. No, yeah, 50-minute games in seven days in the World Cup, and it was savage. Um, wow. We uh, we, were, we were really lucky. So we were in camp together. We had an excellent ex-international coach who played you know, conventional rugby league professionally for years and years, Sean Briscoe, like fantastic coach. We had a couple of assistant coaches, and we had a couple of physios and sports rehabilitation specialists mm-hmm. that were like massaging us every day. Oh, we were in the pool. 
oh yeah it was very rude when i came away from camp and my meals weren't cooked for me <laughs> and i wasn't getting massages every day or spending you know like 40 minutes in the hot tub it like well i've become accustomed to a certain way what of life now. yeah <laughs> i might have a world cup medal but where, where have all the nice things gone um, yeah so they really like i was really expecting to maybe make it through the first game and then mm-hmm. a roulette spin of of how capable i was for any of the other games because yeah. it doesn't matter how much you've trained or how much you've strengthened your knees or anything like that like with contact rugby it's it's a yeah a roulette spin of if you pick up an injury you pick up an injury there's no there's, there's not a lot you can do about it when you cross the yeah sort of the line onto the pitch um, but yeah they kept us all going and it and to an amazing point of everyone was fit for the final there were three lads that had to have a fitness test uh-huh. on the final day and but everyone was there for selection which i i can't believe how good a job they did at, at, at sorting us out yeah. um and yeah we were we we won all our games in the world cup so we by a decent margin in most of them uh-huh. um the final was amazing played in warrington wolves stadium after a men's game so i think we had between two and three thousand people watching us I love yeah that. it was it was it was unreal. I, I I scored. I was a lead scorer for England of of tries. Woo-hoo! Um, yeah, I'm a big believer though. It. I didn't score those tries. It's yeah. there's no try rugby that's not a sum total of all of your team. Because uh-huh. even if I've managed to hit a gap and run from distance or something, I've only hit that gap because we've worn their team down or we've moved them around to yeah. to make me that gap like. And I play on the wing, like my job is to score. If I'm not scoring a few tries, like I'm not doing my part for the team. Like uh-huh. you've got the big lads in the center that are there to, you know, be the battering ram and, and set a platform and move us up the pitch. When I get the ball, I I, I should be trying to get to the try line. It's, it's what I'm there for. Yeah. And Gosh. I was lucky enough as well to be named BBC player of the match twice of the four games. So it, it wasn't a bad tournament for me. Yeah. It just sounds like so incredible because you don't often hear like stories of disability sports necessarily being run really well like it's it's one of the things that you have if you get competitive in disability sports sometimes yeah. it isn't run the best because people are a little bit clueless and that's nobody's real fault it's just like the knowledge isn't there but it sounds like for you guys you had it like really really sweet like you guys were able to all be there at selection. You were able to all perform what sounds like at your peak. And that's incredible. Yeah. Like that's Im- was, that's genuinely amazing. There are some things that we would like to have changed, maybe. And uh-huh. so for anyone that's sort of knowledgeable about rugby league, there were three World Cups, which was the men's, women's, and wheelchair, and they were all given the exact same coverage. Whenever there was like a captain on TV, it was all three of them, and it was amazing. Yeah. And we were a little, we we're a little bit more um, new than that. So yeah. when they were pulling all that together, we didn't really exist. And so we were on the peripheries a bit. Um, yeah, the dream for us by the next World Cup is to be four World Cups all on the same stage, all with the same sort of coverage. Which is when you talk to the guys and girls that play wheelchair and women's, it took them. I was going to say ten years longer to get from mm-hmm. sort of the position we're in of of having a world cup where we've had to do a little bit of funding ourselves and we've like, yeah, we've not necessarily had as, as much in the build up to it in terms of like training as we would have liked maybe in the facilities and things. Although we did have, have pretty decent ones. 
the um, sort of we're hoping to sort of make that hurdle in one World Cup, which took them, you know, a lot of times. You know, the world's moved on; people yeah. are more open to it now, and we're sort of riding on their coattails a little bit. Especially the um, the wheelchair lads; they're exactly where we want to be now. And I was I was at a function with them at the House of Parliament on Monday. It's the first time we actually got to meet them uh-huh. uh, like properly and have a drink with them and have a have a chat about like exactly what had gone on as the, yeah. like some of them have played for years and years and it's it's great that it looks like we will get there so much quicker it's such a, such a more of a positive for mm-hmm. for disabled sport because for me as well the domestic anyone can play regardless of skill experience men women kids all can play on the same pitch and the mental health side of it is just amazing like yeah. it's one of the things that helped get me out of my depression and every player that's played i think will have had some low points to some degree and yeah. some you know really really serious lows and pgrl is, is a reason to get out of the house to come to training to be there with the lads and what people i think underestimate with disabled sport as well which i think is really key with pgrl is if you go and play conventional rugby league with mm-hmm. your local club around the corner there's always a bit of awkwardness and people are scared, like, well, can I tackle him properly? I don't want to offend him. And it's coming from a, yeah. a positive place yeah. that they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to hurt you or anything. But you're missing out on what it is to be part of a team then. Whereas uh-huh. you come to PDRL and everyone's got, there's not many that are actually the same. Everyone's got something different, basically. Yeah. But everyone like me, I've got one arm. If I drop if I drop the ball, I'm still getting the mitt taken out of me for dropping the ball. Whereas at a community club, they're like, you can't say that to a one-armed bloke. Like, oh, it's yeah. true. And, and everyone, you've got that shared, maybe not disability, but a bit of experience of mm-hmm. people being awkward or, or whatever. And it gives, especially, I think, even more, well, depends on your thing, but for people that have had the disability all their lives, they might never have experienced that team setting, whereas mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to have experienced it. And actually, I forgot how much I'd missed it. And when I came back to PDRL, I was like, yeah this has been missing in my life. Like this is amazing. Yeah. And so I think for, for either, whether it's a quiet or um, yeah. sort of born with, it could be a really important thing because a lot of para sports, it's individual, isn't it? And you're not, you're not having that big team, like camaraderie and, and experience. Yeah. And I think actually there's a lot to be said in finding like, uh, re- regardless of like, whether it's sport or whatever, like finding your community of people that actually, there is a shared life experience or commonality or there's there's shared experience of living in the world. And I'm like, people find it everywhere and anywhere, but particularly for sporting people, and obviously this is not everyone, there is something very, very particular about being a part of a sporting team. And it's not necessarily something that you can put into words unless you've experienced it. And so... I love the fact that you're championing that flag for disabled people because I think you're right. A lot of para sports are not team and they are quite a lot are individuals. So to be able to have a sport that is particularly designed and dedicated to disabled people is something that we really need to be pushing because like you said, it's something that helps you out of a bad time. And I like, think about all the other people that it could really, really help. Yeah, for me as well. All the words you throw around, like camaraderie or, or you know, like banter with the lads, you're right, you can't define it. And yeah. Because it, 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 it's beyond all of that. Like the links that you make, the words for me, whenever you talk about it, they always fall short because 
Yeah. It is, you, you can't paint it accurately unless you've had that experience and it, it ties you to people for like, well, for the rest of your lives. If you've, if you've been in a, a proper team together for a while, like you could bump into someone. I've done it from, cause I grew up playing football. I wasn't a rugby player. Lads that I played football with in high school and stuff, 20 years later, I'm, we've then st- stood there and chatted for like 40 minutes and it, it just bonds you in a way that, especially, well, I'm, I'm a sporty guy that nothing else does for me. I completely understand that, but I would love it if you could like explain how you found like PDRL and how you came to play it because like I said, I knew nothing about it and I'm kind of annoyed that I didn't know anything about it. So how did you find it and how did that path happen for you? Oh, it's something that we're trying to sort of champion and fight quite hard now is because rugby league's a bit of an e-sport. Like if you're not from the north of England, basically along the M62, you probably don't know a lot about rugby league, yeah. let alone PDRL. So a lot of our players get recommended by a friend, a colleague, mm-hmm. I've seen a, you know, a Facebook post about this. Have you heard about it? And that's exactly what I was. Um, a colleague's brother played for Leeds and basically she kept pestering me. Being, you should try this. You're quite sporty. I, was like, I played like a year of rugby when I was in college and it was rugby union. And I've always been football. I was like, no, I barely know the rules of league. Like I'm not interested in it. It's not for me. And yeah. she, she badgered me and she badgered me. And eventually um, I just decided to Google my nearest club at the time and went down to a training and within yeah like three minutes of being on the pitch i was like yes this is for me i'm in sold great um i'd been really apprehensive because of like i've not been a fitness instructor for seven or eight years roughly um and i was like before i go down i need to i'm gonna do myself a fitness program i'm gonna get back in shape i'm not gonna embarrass myself and I think if I'm being honest, I'd, I'd just had a couple of drinks and decided to fire off an email. Um, and then, oh, we've got training tomorrow. Come down. And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. And the next day I was like, oh, oh Nick, no, this was not the plan. <laughs> but yeah, committed now. So, um, so I went, yeah, I was in for it. And then at the end of training, they were like, oh, we've also got a game on Saturday. Like, right. So that's like three days away. Um, <laughs> um, really love it. You can play. Ah. Oh yeah, sure. Um, and I got man of the match in the game. Um, I didn't score. I barely knew what was going on, but I was very enthusiastic and quick. Um, so at least if I went to the wrong place, I could get back somewhere right when someone shouted at me. Yeah. Um, and the um, and at, at my sort of for my next game, I was made captain, where I thought I was about to get kicked out of the team because we. We'd done a full contact training and the lad's one of my, my best mates now, um, but he is, say, a foot and a half taller than me and probably weighs about twice what I do. And I can't wrap my arms around someone to tackle them. So all I do is just run at them as hard as I possibly can and hope the collision brings them down more than it brings me down. <laughs> yeah. And this particular bloke at this particular training, I hit him as hard as I could and it turns out I broke two of his ribs with my stump. Oh wow! Um, yeah. um, he he's ex-forces uh, like regular. And it took it really well, and we still laugh about it to this. Well, I laugh about it to this day. He's a little bit better. Um, <laughs> uh, but then the coaches called me over next training. And like, oh Nick, can we have a word? And I was like, Oh no, I've gone. Today is the day. <laughs> yeah, I got overexcited. They're saying maybe this isn't for me. I've like I've dropped their biggest player. This this isn't isn't great. And I'm like, 
we'd, we'd just like to know if you were, you were interested at all in, in being captain. Like, yes, absolutely <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, and it, it's like, it's an honour to like represent the club and the team and stuff. And I'd like, I can't thank um, the woman, Katie, that talked me into it enough for, um, I still see her because, well, I was in the England team with her brother. So I oh, still wow. see her and stuff. Yeah, so it's, um, but that's what we need to try and get out of now is, because rugby league's a small bubble and a lot of people, even the rugby league fans, don't know about us. So we yeah. need to sort of like get better coverage in rugby league and then get out there because there isn't a lot like us, like the, the yeah. rugby union version, I don't think is anywhere near where we are. It, it's normally putting a couple of lads in an able-bodied team to give them a chance to run out. It, it's not a custom-built physical yeah. disability game. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's to doing things like this, and yeah. um, hopefully, because the, the games were on uh, the BBC, so a lot of people saw them. I think they're still on there, so Amazing. people can see that and mention it to your friends. Even like if they're not disabled, mention it them because they might know someone who is. Like just trying to spread it in any way yeah. possible is is what all of the, especially the England team now are trying to do with with you know people a bit more interested now that we've we've got a World Cup. Yeah, that we can sure. we can shout about it and and. Because the, the trophies mean nothing if we don't end up with more people playing the game. Yeah. Completely understandable. And I think it's really laudable that you guys are now kind of on this mission to make it a lot bigger. Because I think, as you said, like it's a sport custom built for disabled people. And that's like very, very rare. So, yeah, I think it's, I've learned, I can say I've learned a lot because I have. That's, and like, it's a lot of information, but it's a lot of great information. And I'll I think, at some point. I just, I think, you know, Imagine what it could do for someone and mm. like, imagine, you know, it's, you know, it's, it is giving someone that camaraderie. It, it is providing a reason, as you said, to get out of bed. And like, you know, a lot of people who acquire the disability and it's completely like absolutely valid can sometimes feel that they've completely lost their life, particularly if they're sporting people, particularly because, you know, being a sporty person tends to involve your body. Yep. Rightly. Like that's part of sports. And so ha having a sport like this, you know, be available and like readily available as well is, is life-changing. And I think that that's incredible. Like, oh. Something that, yeah, I think is, feels a bit cheesy, but it, it is legitimately life-changing. Yeah. I know people that have credited PDRL with the only reason they're still here is yeah. he's had that. Like, and yeah. it's, that's how powerful it is for for people. So yeah, the, the more we can get the word out there, because it's there's, there's no one that it's not helped, and there's some people that have helped like an yeah. extraordinary amount. Um, so yeah, like anyone, even if you if you don't think rugby's for you, contact your local club and try and get down. And there is some attempts to try and set up some things like further south, so like London, like yeah. Bristol, Birmingham. Very fledgling plans, I think, at the minute. But off the back of the World Cup, there's a little bit of interest in moving that because. So I, I volunteer with a charity called Limb Power as well that do yeah. sports for uh, trying to get amputees into sport. And it, it's sort of heartbreaking when the kids come up and talk to me about it. It's like, oh, where would my nearest club be? And like, where, where do you no live? And it's like Cornwall. And you're like, because we have a couple of PDRL players that travel from, well, Adam Hills travels from London. There was yeah. one lad that used to travel up from Cornwall for training every week um, to, to Warrington because it meant that much to him. Yeah. Um, and it, it, he's he's done things like this where he said it saved his life. Like it is, 
it sounds grandiose and and maybe corny or something, but it, it's life changing for yeah. a, a hell of a lot of people. So, as you are a listener of this podcast, you will know that I like to ask everybody for a piece of advice that they would give their younger self, but also a piece of advice that they would give to someone younger than them with the same disability. And I was wondering what your pieces are and if they have Uh, anything to do with the rugby league. I mean, they might not. We'll see. (laughs) So they're a bit more generic than the rugby league. So Uh for other other people, um, especially amputees and things, it would be to like not accept if you're told no for things. So like yeah. I had to box quite clever with how I get my gym prosthetics. And yeah. it was like, no, you can't have one for sport. You can't have one for sport. But I have muscle wastage down my right. Uh-huh. Can I have one for doing um, physio and yoga? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that I can use it for everything in the gym as well. And that's leveled my back up a lot and helped me physically. Yeah. So it's, it's, Push if if they say, oh, this is the best you can do, get online and have a look at the other options because I've basically found the designs of all my prosthetics online and then gone to prosthetic center and gone, well, you did make me this, but can we go? Can we go ahead? Can we, and so I didn't have a, a functional prosthetic for the gym or yoga or anything like that for years, and it it savaged my body like the, my back was in was in bits. So it's it's don't ever don't ever say no. And the other one, which I suppose applies to me and others, is start now. If there's something you want to do, whether it's fitness-related, if it's art, not on Monday, not on the first of the month, like now, like if, you, yeah. if you've if you decided you want to get fitter, put some trainers on and go for a run now. Like yeah. it doesn't, all this, because you're putting it off, you're just giving yourself a chance to like have an excuse and to not and to wait till things, and I can still be really bad for this at times, wait until things are perfect or or, you know, I, I had a bad night's sleep last night, so I, should, I shouldn't bother doing it. It's like, no, just go and do it. Like, it doesn't, you don't have to push yourself as hard every time. Or, you know, if it's art, it doesn't have to be perfect every time. Or it can be just, just crack on. Like, you won't regret getting started. Yeah. And I think that that one, particularly like, do it now, is like universal, isn't it? Because the, the whole idea of like, oh, and like, I don't know why, but every time I think of this, I think of dieting and I'm not someone who is, I've never in my life gone on a diet. Like, A, I'm, I'm too small to go on a diet. If I lost weight, I'd be probably quite unwell. But in my head, everyone has always been like, oh, I'll start a diet on a Monday. And I've always, I never really fully understand it because I always, I'm, I'm probably the same mentality as you, that if you want to do something and you want to start something, starting now is the best time. Because if you put it off, you're going to talk yourself out of it. And it also probably kind of means you don't want to do it that much because you know that there is a level of uncomfortable pain probably required to start and that's fine because everyone every winner was once a beginner like that's a fact i know it's good isn't it (laughs) um, and it's a big one for me is i've started trying to look at think about things like well what will i regret in five or ten years is it that i was a bit tired and went to the gym all that I made it into an England team. So it, it's what what yeah. are you going to look at and think about in five years' time? Is it the rubbish gym session where you had to get up at like six in the morning to make it there? Or are you going to completely have forgotten about that and be like, I made it into an England team? Like it's it's what's, what are your priorities going to, or what you wish your priorities were 
if you if you're five years looking back at it. So it's and the same with like when opportunities come up now to go and do things like going to the House of Parliament the other day with a team. It was quite difficult to arrange and get organised and stuff, yeah. but it's well. Does it matter that I'm probably going to get very little sleep the next day because I'm up at work and I've got to get the train back from London and stuff? No, even in a week's time, I'm going to be well happy that I went there. Yeah, not bothered. Like that for me is quite a big one as well. Yeah, I love that so much. Oh, I think that's that's such like it's such a solid piece of advice. Like regardless of who you are and what your goals are, it's it's kind of universal, which is why I love it so much. For me. I like to think about positive attributes within disabled people because I think as disabled people quite often we're not necessarily allowed to scream and shout about our greatness and to look back on situations which might have been difficult or hard or you know to some extent traumatic and actually look back on from reflection and and notice actually how well we handled situations because quite often society tells disabled people that we either whinge or we moan or we like, you know, we talk about our disabilities far too often. But any time during darkness or sadness or through hardship and hard struggles, which I know you've spoken about, if you can pull a positive attribute about yourself, I do kind of think in, on some level you learn something about yourself. So during any hard time that you've had, have you found like a positive attribute about yourself that actually upon reflection you're incredibly proud of? Yeah, so it's normally been fitness because yeah. even if I haven't done stuff for a long time, I'm probably lucky in that I've got quite a high, like innate fitness level. So it'd be at, at my worst, like, not having exercise for weeks and stuff, just dragging myself out and going for one run and be like, and I'm also like my own biggest worst critic, like worst critic by far. Like games where I've won man of the match, I'm coming off with like I had a terrible game. That was awful. And then someone said, you got mad at the match. Like, were you watching the same game as me? Like, And I wasn't watching the same game as them. I think he's yeah. more accurate. Um, so getting out and then, like, oh, I'll be running like 14 minute miles. It'll be terrible. I won't even be able to run a mile. And yeah. just getting out and, and doing something. Like, oh, actually, the world isn't as terrible as I think it was. Like getting out, getting in some fresh air. Oh, no, I'm still, I'm still able to put two feet in front of each other and do something that I enjoy really like helped me with then trying to be a bit more resilient into other things and like the small wins finding any small win like when you're really low having a shower like to take the small win don't like it doesn't you don't need to because i used to be really well I still am bad for writing massive lists of like undoable like when i'm feeling low of things that i just would never be able to get done in a day you know it's like five days worth of work and then battering myself because of it but trying to get away from that, just having a small win, like, yeah, going for the run. And then looking back, it's like, yeah, you helped. You helped yourself. You did like, you did a good thing there, Nick. Well done. Yeah. I think it's really important to note that actually, chemically, you can choose your own wins. And I mean, chemically as in like your brain makeup, as in like how your brain processes wins and losses. So I found it fascinating when I found this out. And I love, I literally love telling people this, is that, your brain chemically does not know the difference between you winning one pound and 100 pounds because the process that your brain goes through in terms of its synapses and all the chemicals that get released is the exact same. There is no extra like dopamine or serotonin or whatever it is 
that happened when it you you hit a certain threshold. You don't get extra because you got a hundred pounds. You don't get extra because you won a million pounds. You get the same hit regardless of what your win is. So when people say choose your own wins, that's exactly what they mean. And I think what you just said is so important is that if you are if you are feeling low and you can celebrate your small wins and and make sure that you do celebrate your small wins, you'll be better off for it. I'm pretty sure I know that from your podcast, the uh, that the, the serotonin. The, I'm pretty sure I've heard that on another episode. <laughs> I think it's such a great fact. Like it's my favorite yeah, it thing ever. It's excellent. I just love it because I think think about all those people who have won like a million pounds and how amazing they have felt. And then I think like, oh, if I've come across like one p on the street, and I'm like, yes, I got one p. I feel the exact same. <laughs> Yeah, find a find a five pound note in your trousers after a night out. Oh, yeah. best feeling ever! That's when I know that past me was looking after future me, and I'm like, "Well done, me!" Like you knew I needed that extra five. Thank you. <laughs> I honestly have learned so much um, through this conversation, and I think what I've loved most about this is that your passion for this sport is so evident and it's so clear, and like the fact that you want to bring this to other people is so impressive but also beautiful because I think as I've said and we've both said this is something particularly designed for disabled people and in a world where nothing is particularly designed for us this is somewhat incredible and it's nothing short of a minor miracle and I think that what you're doing is just excellent like I have no other words for it one of of the things we talked about especially in the England camp is if most of us are in the England team that compete at the next World Cup Uh we've sort of failed like because if we haven't brought a load of new you know, 20 to 25-year-old people in that are just fitter and quicker and better than us, then because the team isn't necessarily the youngest in the world, we've got we've got some um, yeah. some like older players and stuff. And don't get me wrong, we will all make other people fight tooth and nail to take our shirts from us. But realistically, that's what we want. We want to go from having like nine teams now to 15 to 20 teams and they're just... Uh-huh. If that happens and, and we get we don't get a place from it, I, I take quite a lot of pride in that, that we'd mm-hmm. you know, we brought that many more people into the sport. Yeah, that's really important to like all of us, really. Yeah. Well, I only have one final question for you, and that is, Nick, are you disabled and proud? I'm very proud of this answer, which won't work well on a podcast, but I think you can see from my t-shirt or from my jumper. <laughs> Oh my god, it's amazing! By a friend, and it's for people that can't see it. It's a gingerbread man with a rugby ball under his left arm, which I have, Uh but his right arm snapped off at the elbow with a hook on it. And it's a it's one of my favorite items of clothing that one of my friends made for me. It's also got, um, if you look closely there, that's a dotted line with a set of scissors on just at the end of my stump. That says cut here. So, that is amazing. I am very disabled and proud now, yes. Oh, I love that so much because I think your journey to becoming disabled and proud doesn't sound like it was necessarily the most straightforward. Because from what we've spoken about and what we've said on this podcast is that you had your incident. And then you woke up and you're a bit like, yeah, it's a bit of a joke. And then actually you realise that it wasn't a joke and that is like a bit of a smack in the face. But then you went into something that kind of 
and I don't want to say distracted from the fact that you'd become disabled, but in some ways it almost was a distraction because yeah. you kind of just had to put it on the back burner that that was your now new reality. And as you said, it wasn't until you lost that job or that part of you, you then had to come to terms of being disabled, but now actually kind of done like a full circle and yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, it's another pretty, pretty accurate description to be fair. I'm actually quite good with words. A lot of people, when they meet me, are like, oh, like sometimes you're actually quite clever. And I, like, I, I throw myself off as well. Like, this is. Yeah, well, I think you're well from my ramblings to make it so succinct. <laughs> no, but thank you so much for being a guest today. I've genuinely really loved it. And I think that this episode is just going to help so many people because you've spoken about it in such a beautiful way and your passion for your sport is clearly there. So thank you so much for being a guest. And I've loved I've loved learning all about it. I can't wait to be England's Absolutely. biggest supporter. I need a t-shirt. By so the way. Yeah. I need like my own personalized t-shirt, please and thank you. We we'll appreciate I'm it. I'm sure we can sort that out. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, yeah, so, thank you much. so much. And if anyone is interested and they want to have a look, if they look at um uh, my Instagram is um who needs two arms and there's loads of stuff on there. For it. thanks for listening to this episode of disabled and proud if you've enjoyed the show then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts it really helps us to reach more and more people each week plus if you've got a particular highlight then i'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast